you know, like I said, hindsight's 2020, but I am glad I did that partnership um, for multiple reasons. Number one, when we moved over to Fannie, it was when the rates dropped. And so we ended up getting an 81 basis point discount. So we were at 5.01 with Freddie. We closed at 4.2%. So that ended up being fantastic. And then three weeks after we closed this, the same person that I partnered with through our second deal at us. He's got As an operator, I know other investors are romanticizing multifamily investing, and I'm looking to learn from other investors' mistakes. I know you are too, and you found the right place. Welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Hey everybody, and welcome to Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the pleasure of having Kyle Mitchell with me today. Kyle, how are things out in Cali? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Jerome. Oh man, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, if the listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for that? Yeah, they can reach me. Uh, I'll get my cell phone out, 562-833-5010, or check out our website, Limitless dash estates.com we've got a free passive investors guide out there that we uh, give out that helps people get educated in the multifamily syndication space awesome thanks for sharing that and being so generous direct access guys text them before you call them first <laughs> opportunity to know what's going on uh so with that said will you give the listeners a little bit about your background and you know track record and kind of what you've done so far yeah, sure. Um, I started investing in real estate back in 2010, and I really started out with a house hack of my own uh, single family uh, single family home. Had two people living in there with me, and basically they were covering my rent. So that's how I got started in real estate and thought, man, this is awesome. Let me look into this a little bit more. And uh, got into buying some single families out in the Midwest for a couple of years. Quickly learned that it was very difficult to scale um, to the point where I wanted to, because I wanted to create more passive income than my W-2 job. So I can eventually leave that. And so from there, I started looking for some other stuff. I, I actually stopped investing in real estate for a couple of years because I just did not want to continue with the single family space. And then I found multifamily. Um, and then uh, actually less than a year later, after I found multifamily, I quit my full-time job to pursue it full-time. So what we do now is multifamily syndication, and we focus on Phoenix and Tucson. Uh, we've got a couple of properties out in the Arizona markets. Wow. What size deals are you guys taking down? Yeah, right now we're looking in the eight to $20 million space, um, hundred plus units. Our first property that we took down was a 42 unit um, in Tucson. And then we've also got 128 units out in uh, Phoenix, which, which was a $15 million deal. Did you syndicate that 42? Kind of we did. Okay. Yeah, it's a smaller one, but you know, our plan was always to be in multifamily syndication. I think it was a good size property to get started on our first deal. Um, although typically you would see, you know, maybe a JV or something like that on the smaller 50 and under unit deals. So when people are going in at that size, did you do like one of the syndication schools or did you just go at it on your own? Well, so I started with Michael Blanc's um, syndication and, and class online coaching course and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we did do it by ourselves. And initially, it was going to be my wife and I, who was my fiance at the time, and then our parents were going to sign on that loan. And we're going to take it down by ourselves. And um, some stuff that we'll probably get into today um, happened to where, um, you know, that quickly changed, and we were able to get out of it. But there were some uh, 
speed bumps along the way. But uh, my background is in uh, property management, I, except for a different asset class. Uh, I was a regional director for a, a property management company that managed golf courses. So uh, a lot of my background is in operations and management. And so, you know, I naturally fit into that lead sponsor and asset management piece. So, uh, which is why we were able to, to be a lead sponsor on both of our deals so far. Wow. So you, you're leading both those deals. All right. So tell me what happened in the process of closing this 42 unit. Yeah, absolutely. So um, 42 unit in Tucson, great value add property, um, about 1.65 million. So about 39K a door. And uh, we had the team set up, like I said, with my wife and I, we felt like we could raise enough money. We had been building our investor list for a year and a half at that point. Um, and we need to raise about a million dollars and, uh, our parents were going to sign on the loan for us. And, uh, so that covered our net worth and liquidity. And so we were going with a Freddie small balance loan at that point. And the mortgage broker that we were working with, I told them what our business plan was because this is our first time raising money. And if anyone has ever raised money out there, especially for the first time, it's not as easy as you would think. Even if you have a list of 200 people, if this is your first deal, you know, there's that trust factor, there's this, I don't know. And then on top of that, life just happens when you're raising money, um, regardless of your experience and track record. So the plan was if we did not hit a certain number, which was about 70% of what we wanted to raise, so call it 700,000, uh, by a certain date, we would bring on another partner to help asset management sign on the loan and raise the rest of the funds. Because if you can't raise all your money, you can't execute your business plan, and then you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And we just didn't want to have that happen, especially on our first deal. So a couple of weeks in, the raise was going okay, but we were only at about a half a million. And so uh, I had communicated over the phone with the lender that that was our plan, that we we're going to bring on another partner a couple of weeks prior. Well, uh, when we got to that point, I said, hey, we want to add a partner. We're going to bring on another GP. They said, sorry, you can't do that. We've already submitted the, the application to Freddie Mac, and they're not going to allow another GP this far into the game. And so at that point, it was, you know, really between, you were stuck between a rock and a hard place because it was either continue going forward with this deal and maybe not get the full raise. We could close on the deal, but we couldn't execute our full business plan. Or what else do we do? So I spent the next probably 10 days just calling different lenders, calling different partners, uh, getting their feedback on what we should do. And in the meantime, I was continuing to work with the, with the mortgage broker to see if there was anything we can do. And unfortunately, they were not willing to budge. And so 29 days to close, and this is after we had already used an extension, so this was it. Um, it was a Friday night and I remember I was talking to my partner that I was going to bring on and he's like, you know what, let me call one more guy that I know uh, through an introduction. So he never actually talked to this person. He looked him up online. He knew that one of his friends knew this person had a good relationship with him. It's seven o'clock in California. He calls this guy in New York with Arbor and this guy's walking off a cruise ship on a Friday night and answers his cell phone. And he says, Okay, send me the stuff for the weekend. I'll let you know by Monday if we can do it. And over the weekend, he looked at the stuff and he said, okay, I can do it. I decided to switch with 29 days to close, which is pretty risky, um, very risky. And uh, we went from Freddie to Fannie. And the good thing is, is that a lot of the third-party reports are transferable. So we didn't have to go redo them. So that didn't take a lot of time. There was a small fee to get everything transferred. Um, and we ended up closing on the, uh, the last day. 
Yeah. So when you were going through the math, you said you needed to raise a million dollars on a deal you were buying for 1.2? 1.65. Okay. That's still really, what was your LTV? Or we you... put uh 35% down. So it was a 65% LTV. Okay. And, and then... we're putting about 300 grand into the property. Okay. And wow. So did you get to the million? We did. And so looking back at it, you know, hindsight is 2020. We could have done the raise ourselves. We ended up getting 900 ourselves and our partner brought in another 100,000 and then signed on the loan with us as well. The biggest thing on that was switching over from Freddie to Fannie. Fannie has stricter guidelines on who signs on the loan. There you need to have actual multifamily experience and at least two years of it. Uh, whereas Freddie will bring on some new buyers. So I had to be, I had to be strategic about the partner that I brought on to that deal afterwards. So Freddie doesn't require that you have multifamily experience when you're doing your first deal. They don't. Correct. On a small balance loan, you can get away with it. Now the interest rate is going to be a little bit higher. You're not going to get a lot of the exceptions. Um, and the terms are stricter, but you can definitely go with Freddie on your first deal and not have, um, pre prior existing uh, multifamily experience. No experience whatsoever. Or no experience with agency debt. No experience. Well, we didn't have any um, experience in multifamily. I have experience in single family homes, but no multifamily experience. And we were going to go forward with that deal with Freddie. So it had been approved by Freddie. Wow. That's my first time hearing that. That's pretty impressive. Okay. And so do you regret bringing, well, I guess you can't really say that. Hindsight being 2020, you guys could have finished the raise yourself. Um, and then it just kind of been your deal split with the investors. And this was a syndication. How do you guys normally split your syndications? Yeah. So now um, on our first deal it was a six pref 80, 20 split on that deal. Now we're at an eight pref 70, 30 split is uh, typical, but you know, like I said, hindsight's 2020, but I am glad I did that partnership um, for multiple reasons. Number one, when we moved over to Fannie, it was when the rates dropped. And so we ended up getting an 81 basis point discount. So we were at 5.01 with Freddie. We closed at 4.2%. So that ended up being fantastic. And then three weeks after we closed this, the same person that I partnered with through our second deal at us, he's got a- What's up guys, it's your host, Jerome. I just wanna let you know, we launched Myers Methods in the fall of 2019 with the ambition to inspire a new breed of multifamily investors. If you are interested in getting into multifamily or scaling your current business, hop over to our website at MyersMethods.com to grab your free four-step guide on how to get the ball rolling in multifamily. Now let's get back to the episode. He's got a full-time job. He said, hey Kyle, I can't underwrite this in time, do you want to take a look at it? We were able to lock it up on day one of being on the market. And so that first partnership led to this second deal, which we ended up getting done um, and under contract three weeks later. In the same market? Uh, different market, same state. So uh, Phoenix was the second one. Tucson was the first one. Okay. I was talking to Bruce uh, Woulette in, yep. in both those markets too. So it's pretty cool to hear you guys are doing the same space. So. Yeah, Bruce is a great guy. Yeah, I really enjoyed chatting with him. So that, that was, and even Ben, Ben shared some stuff with me that I didn't even see coming. And that, that was really cool. It sounds like Arizona's a wild, wild west though, man. Right now it is. Although, you know, with all this COVID-19 stuff, we'll see how it, how it reacts. Um, our Tucson property is collecting a little bit better than our Phoenix property, but both so far 
have been okay for collections in April. But uh, yeah, it is a bit of uh, the wild, wild west for sure when you say that. So when you picked um, this person as a partner, what were they bringing to the deal that was missing? Like, where's the complementary skill sets? And, you know, how long had you known them and that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I had known. So we actually ended up bringing on two partners on the deal. Um, and it goes back to the whole multifamily experience with Fannie Mae. We had to bring on one more. But uh, they brought in net worth and liquidity, which was the biggest thing. Um, multifamily experience. One of the partners had had two smaller properties that he had ha owned for a couple of years in Phoenix. And so, you know, same type, same state. So that was great. Um, and then uh, the other thing was just experience in multifamily um, investing in general. So not just to sign on the loan, but had done prior deals. Um, and that allowed, allowed us to look really good to the lender. Wow. And you knew these folks for a while or you just reached out because you were in trouble? No, I had known them both for over a year. We met at uh, our meetup that we host um, in Southern California. And through that meetup, kind of um, um, that meetup has three or four different areas that um, had meetups throughout Southern California. So we had been talking to one another for uh, well over a year, met a couple times and actually looked at a couple other deals before that together that were larger. Um, just never pulled the trigger on them. So we knew that we wanted to work together in the future, just hadn't had the opportunity quite yet. Awesome. And so you said you quit your job after that first deal? Before. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Yeah. So I had been in a position where for about two or three years, I wanted to leave my full-time job. And so this had been something that was, was coming for me. It wasn't just a snap decision. And I was looking for a change in my career and, and something that I enjoyed doing and had passion for. And as soon as I found multifamily, it made sense to me. It just clicked in my head. Uh, a lot of the same functions with multifamily were what I was doing at my previous business, you know, driving expenses or driving income, controlling expenses, driving the bottom line, hiring, firing, and implementing systems to create a more efficient property or business, right? So uh, as soon as I found it, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And it got to the point where I was basically working full-time on multifamily and also full-time at my other job. So I was working about 100 hours a week. We were driving out to Tucson and Phoenix on our days off. Um, my wife and I, we would leave at two in the morning, get back at one in the morning the next day. And so it got to the point where we were making offers and we knew we were going to get something soon. And so I decided to leave my job. My wife still has her full-time job. So she's supporting us while we went after this. And about a month and a half after I left my job, we got our first deal under contract. Wow. And then you got the acquisition fee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it ended up working out, you know, it's, um, not typical uh, going that path, leaving before your first deal. But again, I was looking for a career change in general, uh, not just replacing my income. So it was more of a, uh, a passion thing and, and wanting to get into a new industry. So what do you tell somebody who's thinking about leaving their role or they want to change, they want to double down and be fully focused on multifamily? What, what guidance or, you know, what guidance do you give them? have a plan, you know, is the biggest thing. I mean, like I said, I had been planning on leaving my job for two or three years. So I had a nest egg signed up or saved up. It wasn't like I didn't have any savings, you know? And so I knew that if I had to go 12 months without any, any type of income coming in, I would still be able to live even without my wife's income coming in. So uh, it's all about having a plan and, and sticking to it and being consistent with it. Have you learned much after since getting into these two deals about operations and being on the other side of you know ownership on this? 
Yeah, certainly. I mean, a lot of the things are the same as with my golf course job, for sure. There's a lot of uh, things that cross over, but you learn as you go with everything. I mean, every day we're learning. And so a lot of the stuff that I learned was pre-close, all the stuff dealing with the lender, all the requirements, you know, raising capital was a big thing that I had to learn because I'm just not that type of person. Um, and raising capital and managing deals are two completely separate businesses. They really are. And so that's, that's the biggest thing that I've learned. But yeah, absolutely. You learn industry standards and, and the way they do things in, in apartments is a little bit different than golf courses. But I think it's good because we can implement things that we did in the golf course property management over into apartments. And then I'm learning things as we go on that. But uh, yeah, you're always learning. What did you change about your capital raising practices or just the way you raise money in general? Yeah, well, so we do 506B, so it's all about building relationships. And so I think that, you know, ever since we decided to get into multifamily, we've done it that way. We've started educational platforms and really trying to add value back to people. So the only difference is, is we just try and continue to add more and more value. So at first it was a monthly newsletter and a, and a meetup, and that's kind of what we were going with to raise capital, but it's very difficult to only have one line, you know, one, one fishing line in the water. You want to have 10 or 12 lines in the water. So there's more of a chance you'll catch a fish. And so we've implemented, now we've got two podcasts. We have three different meetups. I actually fly to Phoenix once a month with my business partner uh, to host a meetup in our market in Phoenix, even though I live in Southern California. We do free uh, monthly webinars. So it's really just educating and adding value back to people um, from different angles. Wow. Wow. Two podcasts, a meetup, flying monthly. That's, that's commitment to the cause. And so why are you hosting the meetup in market instead of hosting meetup in the money state of California? Yeah, so we do have two meetups actually here in California as well. Um, but the reason why we did a meetup in Phoenix was just to establish ourselves out there. So we invite some of the brokers to come out there and speak and they'll meet other investors and get closer relationships. It's about connecting people and adding value. So um, it's really just for better relationships in the markets that we invest in because it's all about relationships, whether that's with your investors or with the brokers you deal with or with the property management company. So we want to have a bigger footprint and um, uh, brand in the markets that we invest in, which is why we decided to add one into the Phoenix market. So when you were doing that raise, since it was your first one, did you get surprised by the number of people who said they were interested in investing but didn't? Yes. <laughs> yes, it's it's a crazy thing. I mean, we had a list of 123 people that had previously committed, which is quite a few, um, but only verbally, right? They say, yeah, let me know and I'll, and I'll take a look. And we ended up getting about 23 investors out of that 120 something um, list. And I thought that we would at least get, you know, I, I thought we would raise it pretty quickly. And it, it did take us two months to raise that million dollars. Um, and uh, I would say the first time raising money that you have to at least expect half of the people, if not more than half, are going to back out. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't want to invest. It's different things, right? Maybe 
hey, we want to see how this first one goes and then we'll invest on the next one. Or, you know, even things like life happens. Uh, they just bought a house and so they need to show liquidity in their bank account or they just invested in someone else's deal or they're going on vacation or having a baby. So there's all those different factors that play into raising capital. And so there's, you've got to account for some of those things to fall off. If you think you can raise a million, you're not going to raise a million your first time. I guarantee you that. So. I it's always shocking when people get that light bulb and they're like oh this is going to be harder than I thought it was it's just mm-hmm. writing a check uh when you think about the checks that were written were there like hundred thousand dollar checks two hundred thousand dollar checks or a bunch of 25s like how'd you guys do it yeah our minimum on that one because we knew our investors first right I think the biggest thing about raising money is is always be raising money always have a list in advance it, a lot of people say find a deal and the money will come. I think it really depends on the type of person you are and, and your track record and all those things. But if you're raising money for the first time, you know, uh, we had a list building up constantly to get these people in. But we knew by talking to these people what the minimum would be for these people on average. And so our first raise was about 35000 35, was our minimum. And most people came in at the 35,000. So it was a lot of investors coming in at that lower amount. We had a couple that were higher than that, but it was, I would say two or three. Um, so yeah, a lot of low amounts. And, and the goal eventually is to flip that around, right? And have less investors with bigger amounts. Was there one question that you went, that you got asked while going through the process of raising money that just kind of shocked you? Not, sh- well, not shock me. I guess you can expect to get the question of, you know, why should we trust that you can get this done? Because this is your first apartment deal. And that was the toughest one to answer. And I keep going back to, you know, my management experience prior and, and this deal is done extremely well. Um, and we're really happy with it. And, um, but you know, you just have to go through the steps and the process of being a, a new investor. Every investor is going to have to say, this is my first deal, you know? Um, everyone goes through that step and uh, now we don't have to go there and now we've got a second deal and, and hopefully soon here a third deal. But um, that's the toughest kind of challenge was explaining to the investors why they should trust me with their money. And I had spent a year, year and a half building that trust with some of these people. A lot of them were friends and family, but still when it comes down to writing a $35,000 or a $50,000 check, things tend to change. You know, you, you start to ask a few more questions and those are the tough ones to answer. Wow. Did, did things get easier when you brought in the experience partner? Um, on the first deal, I, we only needed about a hundred grand to close on that one, but it's been really nice working with a team of people who have experience in the industry, right? You can bounce ideas off of people. And I think the property certainly benefited from multiple eyes, looking at it, multiple brains, just bouncing ideas off of one another. That's my favorite part about the joint ventures. And, you know, that old adage, you know, if you've got a good deal, the money will show up. I think if you've got a good deal and you have experience, then the money shows up. Correct. You don't have both money to, well, smart money doesn't show up. And so, you know, that's pretty good. Well, Kyle, uh, are there any words of wisdom for the listeners? Yeah, I mean, as far as anyone who wants to get started in multifamily investing, the biggest thing that we have done that's created success for us is consistency. Um, It's all about consistency. You know, just we we put out consistent um, value and consistent um, communications, right? So it's it's every you know uh, our newsletter is the first 
of every month at 10 a.m. Our meetup is the second Tuesday of every month. Our podcast is every Monday. And so it, I think the people who are, you're looking for them to invest into your deals, they want to see that consistency. They want to see that you're a serious investor. And those are some of the things that have separated us from others is that we've just been stayed consistent and shown that we're serious. Awesome. That's great advice. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. I had a good time. Thanks for having me on, Jerome. Talk to you soon. You made it to this juncture, so you really love what we shared on this episode of Myers Methods Presents Multifamily Missteps. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review and share this with somebody who's interested in multifamily investing. Until the next time, the pack is with you.